Hello and welcome to Series 6 of the BIM Academy Digital Climate Podcast. I'm Graham Kelly, Managing Director at BIM Academy, and I will be the podcast host for this series. During this series, my guests and I will be exploring the theme, Don't Fear the Future. Stakes might sometimes be high, but so are the rewards. We will focus on future thinking and looking ahead to opportunities and solutions that will support the fight against climate change. It's only by pushing our own boundaries that change is possible, and it is only by embracing change that we can generate new ideas that will have a positive impact on the future of our built environment. Hi, I'd like to introduce my guest today, Tomas, uh, who's co-founder and board member at Futurist and also a chairman of a general contractor tech company uh, in uh, the construction industry. Welcome, Tomas. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. My pleasure and really great to be here. So, yeah, so so one of the founders of Futurist 23 years or something ago, um, I have a technical background. I, I actually have a machine learning training from the 90s but that never became a sort of like real career so I became a sort of entrepreneur and 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 switched to the business side and uh, so I was also 10 years as a CEO with Futurist and then for the past five years my role has been that how do we drive and how do we challenge the convention of whether it's knowledge work or other sort of uh, different kind of operations with the help of data and AI not just bring technology into the existing ways of working but actually also changed, for example, the whole paradigm. And we will talk, of course, we will talk about the kind of the construction industry paradigm change and so on, but it doesn't need to be, it's in different industries. And then on the, so today what I'm doing is like looking at those different kind of ways of changing the way we work, how we run processes. And then I do a little bit of technical work as well nowadays. And then on top of the kind of day job, I'm a, I have a few publicly listed company board seats, and then I have this construction industry history. So I think I was eight years in a board of a con- general contractor the last years where as a chairman, and then we demerged that general contractor into two entities, like a technology company serving global clients and a local general contractor in Finland. So that's my my background. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And we will absolutely come on to the to the construction bit in a in a little while. But I wondered if we could talk ab- about some of the work that Futurist is doing and and yeah, and maybe some key examples of of that idea of of challenging convention or ways of working with with data and, and AI. Sure. So, so let's start sort of like a couple of, for example, examples. Is that that? Let me start with a counter example. Sometimes what we see is that 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 we just bring technology to the existing ways of working. Mm. We don't mm. change the process. We don't change the kind of the mindset. We gen- we don't change anything. And then we find out that. That actually the kind of the results are marginal at the best, but mm. maybe to put it the other way around, uh, what we see is that that when we actually start to challenge, for example, industry trade-off, we've been working several years with the grocery retailer, and they decided to challenge the convention that hey, that as the industry used to be sort of divided into two different buckets, either you have a completely centrally driven organization like central synergies and so on, like uh, playbooks that 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 people had to adhere like strictly on the front line or the other was that hey let's have a complete autonomy on the front line the merchants but this company mm. decided that we want them both we want both autonomy we want the local customer experience we want the uh, customization to customer needs and we want the global synergies and the key toolbox there's date so and mm. i think that there's a lot of these kind of traditional sort of like where typically we need to choose between one or another sort of like global synergies and local autonomy and but now with data and AI, we can maybe challenge those. And or in a, maybe another example from our own 
operations. As a consultancy nowadays, we are maybe 800, 900 people. Already many years ago, we lost track of what do we know. And instead of keeping going and asking people that, what do you know? We decided that let's take the digital footprint, like public company internal, but public digital footprint, like documents, public Slack messages, public mirror boards. And we are automatically creating the, the information who knows about what. And we are automatically uh, harvesting the knowledge. So, and I think these are the kind of what we are trying to do is that let's challenge the convention. Let's think different. How do we change the, even the value proposition of like certain processes in a legal industry? Instead of fixing problems, how do we avoid problems when we can use data to actually see the problems beforehand they become problems? So that's the kind of the... And, and what Futures does is we do digital services, digital innovation, sort of like... Uh, uh, digital operating model improvements, things like that. And especially, I think our core is that let's think different. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I think one thing that, that came across in, in that thinking different and what you were saying there was that that changing mindsets rather than just changing technology. And I wondered if you had any other examples of, you know, a really, really cool example of, you know, changing that mindset, which allowed the technology to really help thrive in the business, if you like, or the business to thrive because of the technology, because of the change in mindset, I guess, uh, to flip it on its head slightly. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really uh, important. It both comes in the construction industry, but it also comes in these other industries. Um, and the mindset, let me, let me, okay, let me take the, the retailer example. Mm. Like uh, the mindset of many of those central driven companies is that the merchants need to comply with the central playbook. There's quite often there's even compliance people going around different stores and making sure that actually uh, every single store looks exactly the same. But then the mindset shift is that when we actually want to be customer centric and we want to be innovative, all those merchants actually need to uh, come up with new ideas. And instead of like just complying with the playbook, they actually need to come up with new ideas. They need to think that what might be interesting for their customers and and, 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 and actually, when this company then actually, when they found out that that certain new idea works, they can replicate that across the organization to similar demographics. So that's a, like, for example, one of those, those ideas of changing the, the, the mindset. But then they are like, like in, in a typical sort of like uh, knowledge work processes, like I refer to this legal case of like, what is the role of us? Is it just fix problems beforehand or is our role to actually avoid the problems? Um, there's so many different areas where we can sort of like think different and and uh, or like how do we how do we for example that use data to become more proactive sort of like instead of waiting for customers to call why don't we actually use different kind of alternative data sets to understand the clients understand their needs and also proactively approach them that hey this might be relevant for you and this is also what we've been doing internally at future so capturing the client's digital footprint public one no confidential and then our own knowledge and maybe turning it around that instead of waiting for customers to ask something, we also propose something to the client that, hey, this might be relevant for you based on our experience. But so there are so many areas where the mindset is the biggest limiting factor of figuring out mm -hmm. what to do. And just to touch on that again, do you find that it's that organizations know what they want to do, but don't know how to achieve it through, you know, or, or do you think there is a bit of your work that is around breaking the shackles of, of yeah. current ways of thinking in order to sort of think differently, in order to then 
start to challenge possibilities, I suppose, is it, I, is it that I, way around? Yeah, I would say that that um, how I would maybe re rephrase or slightly answer differently. I would say that that the biggest bottleneck that I see is this kind of ability to to challenge the way that we've done the business for the last 30 years. But mm. at the same time, I, I'm not recommending anyone to jump like directly from, let's say, maturity level zero to let's redesign end-to-end mm. -end processes. I, I think that we need to first bring technology to existing ways of working so that we learn the technology, but that is not enough. So, so I think everybody should have the ambition level that we need to redefine the workflows minimum or end-to-end -end processes. Mm. And sometimes what I see is that we need to choose even certain use cases so that we get into these end-to-end -end processes and start thinking about them differently. But I would say that that I would say that the biggest bottlenecks that I see is not in technology. Of course, the technology is not easy. Data is always broken. There's always challenges with data. But the mm. biggest bottleneck is this: that how might we rethink? How might we get response times from one month to maybe two days for clients? And what kind of non-traditional thinking that we need to actually do mm. there? No, I think it's fantastic. I think. You know, we see very similar in 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 the construction space that we're in in that in that sense of it, it's very much about painting a a broader picture, demonstrating other ways of doing things in order to sort of break that traditional. This is the way we've always done things, or um, or trying to slot another process within that traditional methodology. It's kind of you know you've got to paint that picture in order to try and in trying to break those shackles, which is which is you know difficult, but I think it's only by painting that picture and demonstrating quick wins and 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 opportunities that you know you start to start to make a really difference. And I, the, I suppose that leads us really nicely onto your 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 time in the construction industry. And I wondered whether you could tell us a little bit about that um, and coming from that you know data centric technology machine learning background into into that construction industry. Just tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so it started 2015. I was invited to join this board of like a general contractor called FIRA, which is a medium-sized, good general contractor in the capital region of, of Finland. And, and uh, I guess uh, I was invited because during those days, FIRA had decided to start on this journey and go on this journey that can we think, can we redesign? Can we think different? Can we do something different in the construction industry? Because the kind of the... The, the challenges were there. We, we have all seen the McKinsey reports of no productivity increase in, during the last 30, 40 years or some reports saying negative productivity increase and, uh, and quality issues like, uh, like financial issues with the general contractors. And, uh, and then there was just a really strong ambition with, within FIRA that we need to do things differently. And of course, then the idea was that, that digital data is a part of it. And I was invited to the board and... Uh, and and that has been a really let's say inspiring journey and it hasn't been always or never easy journey but uh, but so it then then it was like roughly 2 years it was more like searching so we launched all sorts of initiatives to to, to search and to understand what should be done and then then it after a couple of years sort of and it was roughly 2019 that it became clear that we cannot get we cannot get good results unless we change the whole system. So not just bring technology to the existing project paradigm, but we need to think much more broadly. So we need to think broadly 
And then we started talking about that, hey, let's build an industrial assembly paradigm instead of this project paradigm. Uh, and, uh, and then little by little, then it started to actually uh, yield results. And our key sort of like uh, KPI or what, uh, like a driver was uh, lead times or how long it takes to build. Typically takes those kind of buildings that, that FIRA is doing, it takes roughly one and a half years, 16 to 18 months it did. And the goal was to get that shorter and shorter and shorter. And uh, and now I think the portfolio is roughly 30% shorter. And then there are lead cases that are around 50% sort of shorter. And and we see that there's still a lot of room to be actually improved. Um, and then roughly two years ago, we started thinking that, okay, and, and it was all all the time, it was a kind of goal that, that it's not just for fee, right? And we wanted to change the whole industry and serve other clients as well. And and then roughly two years ago, the process started to demerge these these two activities. So FIRA still keeps on building in the capital region of Finland, but then this flow technologies is a global technology company that is doing digital, this doing working with data, but also like building um, modules and and prefab sort of like assemblies to to improve the the the, the flow. And uh, and now it's been r- roughly one and a half years. These two entities have been separate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I stayed on this kind of technology company side, and, uh, and now their company like Skanska is is working with Flow Technologies and and other companies. So that's fantastic. Thank you, and and, and a real example of some innovation in the in the construction industry. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about the key or the core services that Flow Technologies deliver now. Is it is it products or like software products, or is it it's kind of some consultants, some products, some. Um, yes, that's a that's a good question because the, the core is in in technology, but mm. at the same time, when we are talking about like changing the the kind of the paradigm, it just doesn't happen with technology or products. So so there is a. The, so the core is like schedule management, tag time, tag time sort of like software. There is there's. There's also modules, which are like physical modules that are like uh, reducing the need for on-site work there. There's also certain process ways of like what we call indoor factory, which, which changes the workflows internally, although there's an, there aren't that many, that much software at the moment. But And then there are, of course, this kind of like situation awareness tools that and, and offering that actually creates the situation awareness on, on many in many ways, like what's happening on the site. Then there is like... Uh, offering for planning and and and, and so it's a, it's a kind of a tool box for yeah. uh schedule management with the try driver of reducing the cycle time if it starts from 18 16 to 18 months the first step is like a couple of months away and then we like like we are going more towards like hopefully at some point building in maybe six months seven months eight months and and we can't, just can't say that just software because you can't create that kind of impact with just software. So there's also this kind of consultancy part of it, but there's mm. actually more and more uh, partners doing the consultancy part. So the, the, the core is in technology. Fantastic. And um, one thing when we spoke before was was around this clock speed or cycle time yeah. um, and, and this idea of different challenging the management processes on a construction yes. site through data i wondered if you could expand a little bit more on yeah on that yeah. 
exactly and i think that also goes to your original or earlier question about like the mindset as well and then so one thing that we 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 have learned is that that yes uh we got the kind of data flowing at some point so we got a situation awareness on the sites that didn't bring like magical results immediately by itself but what actually started to bring results is when we increased the clock speed so initially the 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 clock speed management clock speed on the sites was once a month so so the full situation awareness was built once a month and then the major decisions were done once a month but now that the data flow started flowing we could actually automatically build the situation awareness and then we could increase the speed so initially then we moved to weekly cycles and then we moved to daily cycles meaning that that the same kind of decisions are now done on a daily basis that were done traditionally on once a month and this actually created a lot of good impact on both on the risk management mm-hmm. side but of course and then on the kind of the the cycle time side getting like the whole overall time frame of the construction side to 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 be shorter like uh reduce from the 16 18 months like week by and week do you think month that, by month. and do you think that actually that made that that having a having a full situational awareness of what was happening on site through the use of data um and therefore make planning much more frequently at a high level, I suppose. Do you think that was the biggest change rather than the sort of industrial um, assembly paradigm which you talked about before, which was around, you know, modern methods of construction, design for manufacture, build off site, introduce to site, assembly. Do you think, uh, which bit do you think made the biggest difference? Uh, or were they I kind of that, similar? Yeah. I would say that, that, that maybe it's a slightly different thing. I think the industrial assembly is the one that makes the, the, the biggest impact altogether. And I think this faster clock speed is one important tool of the industrial sort of like construction paradigm. Sure. And uh, and uh, I can't exactly say that which made the biggest impact, but actually this made a big impact, this increased clock speed. And, and because, of course, we can react to deviations much faster, we can make changes so much faster, like we can we can address problems so much faster. So, so I think that that was a really crucial factor. But I think that to get to the real results of like big results of like reducing 30%, 50% and so on, then we need all the different parts. We need a different culture. We need like tighter tolerances. We need like really good tech time scheduling management. We need the, the situation awareness. We need the high clock speed management processes, all these different and work um, elements working together. And that's why we are talking about systemic change, not just bringing technology into the existing yes. ways of working. And how did the site management teams take this on board? I suppose in terms of shifting that mindset, you know, there's been there's the the construction industry is ma- is made up of some fantastic craftspeople, really. You know, guys that know people that know how to put things together. You know, and and this takes a real shift around the idea of actually, you know, changing the way that that in- fundamentally works. Um, I just wondered whether there are any comments on how that was sort of yeah. perceived or received on site. Yeah. So, of course, there's probably many stories about what the reality looked like, but I can say it wasn't easy for, yeah. for, for, for many reasons. And first is like finding a common language between like people on the side, those craft people who are, who are, who've been building and who've been getting things done. And then, of course, like digital and data people who have maybe a slightly different frame of reference and, uh, and and then of course somebody needs to have also vision of what the future process looks like in the construction. Um, 
So there were a lot of things, but I would say that, that if I just comment a couple of really important things that I've, I think that were crucial in this change, like number one, what I would say is that what we learned is that we need to build software that helps people to succeed on the ground, meaning mm. that it some, somehow eases the work or makes the life easier on the ground. Because quite often what we also learned, and I think that we made a couple of mistakes on the way as well, is that we created software and so that the, we asked the frontline to report more. So we kind of created software that actually didn't help the frontline to succeed that much. It was more like uh, giving more information to the headquarters and, and central units. And of course, that never works really well. And, and I think then we started thinking, okay, how do we help people to succeed? And then we had different things like at some point, the teams were working in these construction containers on the site so that we tried to keep the distance between technical people and, the, and the, the construction people minimal. And then there were these kind of interesting breakthroughs that suddenly the people leading the site said that, okay, now I'm actually getting my situation awareness from these screens instead of walking on the site. So there was a, there was a lot of, and then of course the CEO of this FIRA also made a lot of effort to bring people together. And, and he had this kind of idea that if there's a conflict, he will not let people avoid it. He will not allow people to actually uh, just let, let it run loose, the conflict. But he kind of brought people together in the same room and asked people to solve the conflict that come up with a sort of like common idea what the fu future looks like. And then there's a question of incentives. How do we turn the incentives? How do we create metrics that actually uh, people can, uh, and KPIs that people people actually uh, can improve because, for example, the KPIs are not very good for flow efficiency because typical PL metrics do not count the value of time on the site. And mm. there's a lot of different things that we had to do, but I think this changing the mindset and the culture and, and, and trying to find a common ground between the construction people and digital people is actually an interesting task. Yeah, I think it's a phenomenal uh, achievement, really. I think. You know, when you when you were talking there, it sort of it brung home to me the idea of you know you're decentralizing this intelligence. You know, we do we do a lot of or taking the taking the requirements to the to the people on the ground that are trying to you know develop and build the building. I think often you know in 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 my world in our world, you know this you you're trying to layer on process rather than decentralize it. So uh, and then you're trying to teach people why it's why it's important rather than you know this idea of decentralizing it to support a frictionless opportunity for for um organizations to improve and 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 to for the people on the on the ground building the building or building the asset to to succeed and i, I love the sort of top down empowerment around solving the conflict and around around feeding you know making sure that that was a non negotiable ultimately around right we this is we're going to make this work but you know you're all important within that and then obviously What's important within that is then measuring success, right? Which is where where those metrics and KPIs come in. So I think it's a real example. The whole thing is a real example of of how we, you know, if we're going to change paradigms within construction or we're going to change mindsets within construction, you know, it's a real fantastic case study of 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 how to really do it and how you need all of those things. You need that decentralized intelligence. You need top down empowerment, and you need the metrics to succeed. And I suppose. You don't get any of that without embracing the data that, that sort of backs it all up. And I think that's perhaps one of the things that we're, we're missing yeah. in the industry yeah. uh, at the moment. 
Um, I, on the on the industrial assembly paradigm piece, there's been a lot of um, stories in the in the UK in recent years around, you know, failures within this space. You know, a lot of modular construction companies have have ultimately failed. A lot of that's been discussed, and my personal opinion is is around the fact that they invested a lot of money in building factories and then try to fill their order books rather than you know we're seeing some innovative interesting ideas now that are like it's they're almost like ready for scale up but you know they're waiting until the order book allows them to scale rather than the other way around i just wondered whether you had any thoughts around that from the experiences that you've had around you know if we're gonna if we're gonna embrace modern methods construction industry assembly paradigms as you call them how do we how do we learn from the failures of of past and how do we try and succeed in that in that space yeah. yeah i think that also yeah we of course know all these kind of like Caterras and others who also had a sure failed and i think that it's a it's also a question that like there's uh, maybe there's two two approaches uh, maybe there's an approach that that Caterra, for example took that let's build everything ground up all the supply chains everything like from scratch and uh and it has, of course, maybe a different kind of risk profile. The approach that 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 we used at at Fira and now Flotec is that we start from the existing uh, kind of like business and existing volumes, and then start bringing this industrial assembly piece by piece into that sort of like uh, ways of working. So so finding ways how to reduce the cycle time. What is the the how can we increase the the amount of pre assemblies or or, or prefab elements how can we sort of like bring more uh tighter tolerance components that ease the work on on the ground and i think that's the of course both approaches have their pros and cons and uh and but at least i think that and of course there's been a lot of challenges like like maybe that is actually a good point that that because we didn't we didn't start from a sort of like from scratch and try to build the whole supply chain from scratch because even with this current approach there's been a lot of challenges and a lot of issues and 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 so on. So maybe maybe that is my one of my answers is that maybe the kind of ground up approach is really risky, and maybe somebody will still succeed in that, and most mm. probably will. But then at the same time, the other approach is to take from the existing business, existing volumes, and start bringing in piece by piece more modularity, more industrial assembly approach. And did you find? Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think did you find that the when cha- when challenging the supply chain that you had did you find that some of the su- the current or the 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 supply chain at the time were willing to innovate or did was it a case of going out and finding new suppliers for certain assembly elements or or did you bring the mm-hmm. supply chain with you i guess is what i'm both, what I'm both. Asking. i think that yeah i think yeah. there was in certain cases we became our own supply chain we had to actually Sort of like like we built our own little factory and 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 so on uh, because we wanted to do certain things differently. In certain cases, there were certain like uh, uh, partners who who already there were there's been cases that uh, some partners who already had kind of innovated something, but they could not find a market for that innovation because of the existing culture, for example. That there were I, I know cases from a year few years ago where. Some of the vendors had already really high quality components, but nobody was buying them because the, the industry culture was buying cheapest. And, mm. and until this kind of Fira and Flow was able to, to formulate what is the value of cycle time, how much we can save cost if we have faster 
So the building then actually started to have an opportunity for those vendors to also sell their components because because they were more expensive. And I think that what we are trying to do here is that switch from this low component cost, but really high system cost system into higher component cost, but actually much lower system cost like world. And I think that's that's maybe something that then we've some of the, if we need to build ourselves. Some sometimes we also sort of like ask others to innovate with us. And sometimes there was already existing innovation that was looking for a kind of like a proper intra, a, a construction process where it was uh, fit for purpose. Sure, sure. That's fantastic. I think, you know, that the whole, um, the total is is greater than the sum of its parts, if you like, in the sense that, you know, actually, if you if you take a different approach to some more expensive components, actually, the the overall offering is is you know better value for money ultimately rather than it being you know cheaper i suppose which is which is fantastic again i suppose it goes back to that being able to analyze being able to measure being able to you know see those those factors i think you know that 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 data management piece is still relatively new within the construction mm. industry and I, I wondered whether you had any thoughts around you know how we really stimulate that at a at a grander scale than you know individual organizations that have shown great ambition how do we how do we push that out in industry wide um that's actually a good question and i think that it maybe what i think is that we need to have more of these kind of examples that show the value like real yeah. hard business value like whether it's reduced cycle time that that improves the profitability improves the investor sort of returns on investment and things like that and I think that if I think of like this industrial assembly paradigm and, and, and if a traditional paradigm, maybe it's like a, the, the, the kind of the um, detail level of, of schedule planning is maybe on a week of a, week, a level of a week. And mm. when we do like proper industrial assembly type of tack time, we are getting to hours, we are maybe getting to four hours. Uh, mm. tact or two hour tact and then I think that and and if we, that re reduces the cycle time significantly we can't manage that kind of side with traditional approach we need to get the data flowing we need to get the people the information the components exactly when needed in the exactly right place where they're supposed to be and we just can't do that with the traditional management approach of a construction site and and that's that's maybe the kind of two things that yes we everybody needs to understand what is the potential value of it and then actually to achieve it, there's no other way than this kind of data management. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. I think it, I think a lot of that comes down to knowledge and and knowing the art of the the possible. It was it was interesting when you said right at the start, you said, "Look, futurists, we lost track of what we know. You know, there's 800 yeah. of us. You know, and you almost flippantly then said, you know, then we took all of our documents, all of our messages, all of our Slack <laughs> messages, and you know, and we mapped that and we started to explore." You know that's not that's not a that's not an easy thing to do in in the in a especially in the construction sense in the sense that mm -hmm. you know the the data management minds aren't, aren't there to yeah. allow that to happen. And I think I suppose it's it's about I've, I've always I've I've said for a long time you know if we're going to make impact from our data you 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 need a cross pollination of these different skill sets. You need data management within construction and and start to. So I think I, I guess I'm answering my own question in a way that it, it takes leadership from construction industry in order to bring those in. But yeah, I think there will be some that that succeed as well. But yeah, I, I when you when you talked about that knowledge management piece, yeah, 
what what does that now look like just paint a picture for us with, with regards to how yeah. that how you manage knowledge within futurist yeah so so what we do is that we 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 get the information from these different sources and uh, now it's also something that we can also track like documents but we can also track uh individual pages because we've learned that people are not looking for documents they're looking for individual pages but also mm. at the same time they, they can also tell who are the people most relevant to the topic and so we have a site um what we call photocortex um recently we also had a gpt on top of it so now you can actually chat with that sort of like instead of just finding mm. the documents you can get a like like uh textual format but that actually has led to interesting consequences now that we can actually get access to these individual pages we can actually, what we're already doing is that we can measure our strategy progress on a weekly basis because mm. our strategy defines that how our sales is changing, how the conversations with clients are changing. Those are reflected in proposals. Now that we are capturing and analyzing those documents on a, a real-time basis, every Thursday we are running an analysis mm. that how are the proposals reflecting strategy, meaning that, mm. again, going back to these management cycles, when I was a CEO, we had this approach of let's make a strategy, let's set up the initiatives, and let's look again in six to twelve months. That how are we doing? And and of course it wasn't pretty. Okay, now now it's not pretty either. But now we at least know on a weekly basis <laughs> that it's not pretty, or where it's working, where it's not working, or we can actually track the information flows inside the company because we have operations in Germany, in UK, in Sweden, in Finland. We can see that which kind of information is flowing. Are people on the front line using the same information? Or do we have information bubbles that are not talking to each other? Or are we using mm. the central materials that we are supposed to use on the front line? Or is front line just mm. generating the materials by themselves and ignoring the central materials? So there's a lot of mm. things that we can actually now see. And then maybe that is also one comment to your question, that now that we are capturing the knowledge and we are providing it for people to use, we can actually come up with a lot of additional use cases that are changing the convention, for example, strategy execution or... Mm. or like performance management topics mm. i think it's absolutely fascinating and something that you you know um you could do a whole podcast on really around around that i think the again it probably comes down to a couple of things around you know shifting the mindset of of understanding the art of the possible alongside you know the execution of that um of that uh system or or, or systems that allow you to to feed that in because i think you know knowing the construction industry as i do that there would be a huge gulf between you know where organizations are now and where projects are now to to really starting to understand that and see that and i think but i think there's some really interesting messages in there around all right if we can grab all this knowledge if we can see all this knowledge if we have transparency over what's happening on a project or what's happening with an organization there's huge efficiencies that could be gained from this. And I think what I hope is that there's a bit of a groundswell mm -hmm. of people starting to look at this and starting to, yeah. because often what we see is that there's sort of pockets of stuff happening, but because it's not on a, a grander scale, it doesn't reach the procurement heights that it, that it needs to. I think that's the, that's probably the key for me around, around that, around that piece. I wondered I guess on that and, and on, on other things that, you know, this, this podcast series is, is around don't fear the future and um, specifically around the construction industry, I guess. But I wonder what your future predictions were for, for the construction industry and, and where you think it'll be in five, 10 years time, if that's possible. 
Yeah, I think that that my feeling is that this kind of industrial assembly it probably probably come from the post direction, like this bottom up, like let's build it like like all the new supply chains and so on. But also, I think this what is going to happen is that what what this Fira and Flow Technologies is doing that okay, let's start from the existing business and bring bring the industrial assembly there. But I strongly believe that the construction industry will look like quite different in five to ten years time, and uh, and and it's more looking like an industrial assembly with with tighter tighter sort of like tolerance is uh, much more sort of like flow efficient maybe we get the process efficiency from the existing 20 to 10 to 20 percent to maybe 60 70 80 percent process efficiency uh, much more sub assemblies um and, and and so on so i think that's the that's i strongly believe that i feel that the the, the, the change has now started and uh and then, of course, hopefully the kind of the results will be visible for everybody. So both for the construction companies, for the end customers, the consumers, the investors that that maybe have been struggling with the existing construction paradigm for for a while already. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree. I think I think there's a long road to go still, and I, I'd be interested in your yeah. thoughts around. You know, it's it's the challenge or the conflict between frictionless knowledge management software industry assembly that uh, that allows an easier process because all the complexity is in the background mm. with the complexity in the industry itself around you know planning or um you know procurement routes or you know land banking for housing or you know all these different sort of um elements that that sort of hold us back in some ways yeah. but i i wonder if there'd, there'd be a i wonder if there'll be a bit of a shift with rather than the butting heads or conflicting between the two it's more of a because you've done more up front you have more ability to make a difference i don't know what your thoughts are around you know the the i get the i get the industry assembly paradigm piece mm. it's just how that then changes the landscape of how you sort of then fit it within the within the industry and and the challenges mm. that the other challenges that fit within that yeah i think that that yeah maybe the kind of the friction that i think is that is the kind of that this is a systemic because the, that we've been building this kind of ways of working and the supply chains and the approaches and the industry structure for i don't know how many tens of years i think mm. that that's the kind of one of the the kind of the, the big frictions is that that we need to change all sorts of like different uh all the different elements and and starting from how people think about and, and starting from the, the the autonomy versus like central playbook and uh, and 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 I think that it 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 takes time uh, altogether, and there will be probably quite a lot of friction and also conflicts. But at mm. the same time, I I do feel that there's more and more pressure. And if we look at this kind of, I think all these kind of like, for example, model assembly uh, startups and scale ups, although some of them have failed, I think they are all maybe let's say leading the way and showing that okay, there needs to have something needs to happen. The the only question is that what is exactly the path that is the the with the least friction going forward and maybe there are also sure. sort of new generations of people coming into the industry as well sure and I, I guess we are working in a landscape where the market drivers are, are rapidly changing and, and the urgency of those yeah. market drivers around whether it's the climate emergency or building safety or you know or management of data or you know cost to complete and and all of this stuff is i guess driving the market in yeah. in that way as well that's actually me. If I may comment, I think that's actually something that at least I forgot to mention is that 
that I think this kind of sustainability angle is a really strong driver. And and if I mm. think of like my journey in the construction industry, yes, the sustainability angle has been there all the time, but actually maybe the other way around that we we felt that when we can solve the fundamental issues in the process, the result will be much better from the sustainability point of view. And and I think that's also one driving. And then of course for sustainability, we need to have a much more strict reporting. And if we think of the old paradigm, it's really difficult to even to understand what has gone into an apartment building because there hasn't yeah. been bill of materials and, and so on. So I think that this sustainability is both an outcome of this change, but also a driver for the change that we actually need to know what we are building. We actually need to be able to calculate the CO2 footprint and, and all those kind of things. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. And uh, well, thank you for that. And, and I suppose as we as we near the end of the the podcast, I wondered whether you had any um final thoughts or messages that you would um you'd want to present to our to our listeners as a as a take-home message yeah i would i would say that that i highly encourage to to go on this journey and at the same time it's not going to be a sort of an easy journey so so i think that we need more and more people with high ambition level and willingness to withstand the messing of this kind of change because it, these kind of transitions are really messy in the on the on the day by day basis and i think that's probably also something that is probably a little bit like creating friction that 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 it's always easier to do tomorrow things on the, the traditional way than actually changing the the way drastically but i think that the kind of benefits are there and i just encourage people to, to go on this journey fantastic well thank you very much to amas that's been an absolutely brilliant podcast in terms of just getting into your mindset and, and some of the ways that you're challenging the industry which has been which has been thank you. fantastic so thank you very much for your time thank you it has been a pleasure